Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello and welcome back, you guys. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. Hey. Hi. Um, how was your week, Katie? It was good. It's It's been funny because we've been on a little bit of a different recording schedule. So we just talked and recorded a few days ago, but I was like feeling like it was a whole other week. I don't know. My timeline's all messed up, <laughs> but it was good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because we recorded over the weekend, so my timeline is really thrown off where I'm already mm-hmm. thinking it's a, it's been an entire week and it's only been three days. Yeah, so, <laughs> but it's um, been a good three days. Thank you for asking. You're uh, welcome. We just recorded a pretty funny little um, Patreon episode before this, which was fun. has me in a really good mood. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can go over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash notsomollymormon. Um, before we begin, I do have a little correction that I wanted to talk about. So we did our episode on murder among the Mormons and we got a few, uh, messages from you listeners about how either one or both of the directors of that film actually aren't Mormon anymore. I think for sure Tyler Meesum is an ex-Mormon. And um, Jared Hess is maybe inactive or possibly has left. So anyways, we just wanted to clarify, it doesn't really change how we feel about the film, but we wanted to make sure we had our facts straight. So there's that correction. Yes. Thank you, Katie, for doing that. Like like you yeah. said, we had quite a few comments, so we definitely wanted to do our little correction corner. So to make sure we're presenting accurate information, but yeah, I mean, our opinion's still the same, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the facts um, are yeah. presented. But in other news, we have a couple new patrons. Uh, Sarah, do you want to introduce them? Is it just one? There's two. Oh, there's two. Sorry guys. I, again, I don't have the thing. So let me. Oh, let me I, put I, got it. I got it. I got it. Don't okay. you worry. Um, so one of our new patrons is Abel. Hi, Abel, and welcome. Hi, Hi Abel, <laughs> and welcome. I did I did see these. Sorry, guys, I lied. They come in through the email. Um, but hi, Abel. Welcome. <laughs> yes. And, and our other patron. Which I'm so giddy right now. Like, my face is scrunched up in my turtleneck. Uh, is Monica and Monica is our special guest on the show today hi Monica hi I'm so excited to be here ah we're thrilled and Sarah is over there fangirling in her turtleneck so I really am like I'm not exaggerating I'm not even playing this up I am total fangirling so Monica is on camera and I can't stop looking at her I'm sorry I had to turn my camera off because I can't can't deal with it. It's too much, but we're so excited to have you on the show. Yeah. I know you guys already. Oh, I know. We feel the same way. We're so pumped. Um, so Monica's going to share her story with us today. Um, basically things in starting from back in her um parents' days, but she has so many good things to share. We're just so excited to hear everything that you want to share with us, Monica. <laughs> exactly. And I do have to give a little plug. It's not it? ready yet, but your amazing 
book. Can I say that? Am I allowed to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's in it's coming out. Um, there's not a date yet, but you are in the works of getting it. Yeah, I just finished. For the last five years, I've been writing it, so I just finished the final final draft. So um, now I'm just on the you know submission part of it, looking for book agents. Oh God. I'm so excited you guys she was lovely enough to share the first chapter of her book and obviously I'm not going to say anything other than it's incredible like I mean I'm a nerd and I love books and this was one that like instantly from the first sentence I was like okay can't stop can't stop and when it ended I was like what no where's the rest I was so <laughs> Aww, devastated yeah, it's so beautiful. So we're very excited. So, um, yeah, yes, Monica, take it away. Start wherever wherever is good for you. All right. Well, um, first of all, I'm Navajo. I grew up on the Navajo Reservation in Window Rock, Arizona. Um, my parents married in the Salt Lake Temple. I was born under the covenant. My dad was mm-hmm. a bishop. You know, my mom worked in the Relief Society. Yeah. Um, all of that good stuff. <laughs> oh, I didn't know your dad was a bishop. Well, he was act he was actually just a stake president for the last ten years recently. Um, and just oh, was released like last month. Oh wow. Whoa. Yeah. So he's he's been in it. Um and that's it's, such it's, a crazy job, like being a stake president. <laughs> you have so many yeah. I don't know, just so much responsibility. It is. Um, And, you know, so my parents actually left the church when I was 12. Um, So I kind of, you know, I give this whole resume and list of (laughs) all their accomplishments because um, he was he was a very staunch member. My mom is a very staunch member. Um, And then can't remember if you had an episode or mentioned it before, uh, but George Lee, he was the first Native American uh, general authority. I think Mm -hmm. he was in the 70s. So um, he was actually my dad's uh, mission president. And so when that whole, you know, fiasco was going on, uh, he came down to our house and there he was on our doorstep, you know, wanting to talk with my dad and uh, so he actually told my dad um, about the LDS stocks and <gasps> racism. And so shortly after, uh, my my parents decided to leave the church and take, you know, remove their names off the records. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was 12 at the time, so I had a pretty good knowledge of the the doctrine and the gospel. Um, I had started going to young women's and having those marriage lessons, you know, it's so creepy when you look back on it, like how they're just totally preparing 12 year olds to get married. Uh, For marriage. And, and uh, I, I'm like, Sarah, I have like a stack of, of uh, journals, you know, so I was going through <laughs> when I was in um, Young Women's, and it was this list of requirements for my husband, you know. Oh. At, oh. At 
because we were supposed to write down what we wanted in our future spouse and they had to be a return missionary they had to be temple worthy they had to have the priesthood oh god yep all of mine had that yeah and uh and you know the temple that we were gonna get married in and i just thought like you know looking back as a grown woman and reading all of these journals too because um they were so cringy and <laughs> after every entry it was like my name plus some boy's name you know <laughs> entry and my i finished reading it and my daughter wanted to read it actually and i was like no it's it's horrible it's just the worst there's really nothing to read about in there and i said i was such a like i didn't like the person i was reading about either because you know it's middle school i was a 12, 13, 14 year old kid. Um, so anyway, I did end up letting her read it. And she's like, mom, you are so boy crazy. Like why? Because I see her and she's like, so into, you know, sports and, you know, thinking about a career. And she tells me she doesn't want to get married or have kids. And I'm like, great. I am so, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're going to have all this freedom. I didn't, not that I regret having my children. I love my children. Um, but I do wish I, I took more time for myself, you know, um, in my twenties. That's that's like really hitting hard with me. I was very boy crazy too. And I wonder if I hadn't been raised in a culture where so much importance was placed on a boy liking me, you know, being taken to the temple and all that. If maybe I would have nurtured some other areas of myself as well. That's that's hitting hard with me right now. And I never really thought about that before. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because we're just thought we're just trained to like the one thought is to get married. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it, for her to read my journals, it was just baffling to her. She's like, why? <laughs> why did you just talk about boys all the time? Um, and I was really sad because, you know, I'm writing this book about my dead brother. And um, I'm trying to find memories in there. And I don't. It's just, you know, this was like in the 90s. Um and the year 2000 was coming up too, okay. you know, oh, so yeah. everybody was prepping every, like our house had like food storage just lined up. Oh, same. Yeah. He powdered milk, wheat upon mm-hmm. wheat on wheat. And um, so I don't know. I, I know and educated the, the girl, the author had, had written about how Mormons that she knew uh, thought that the world was going to end in the year 2000. You know, Y2K was coming yeah. and like Christ was going to come, right? Oh, yeah, I'd heard, I heard that totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had a journal entry um, saying that, you know, this, this was just shortly after my brother died. And so I was like, well, I'll get to see him and, you know, Oh my gosh. Years, you know, cause like Whoa. Christ is going to come. And so like, I mean, just reading that now I started out as a, a full believing member when I started writing the book, we were living in Gilbert at the time. 
Um, and oh, wow. Sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. That's so fascinating. Yeah. That's five awesome. years later, I was like, no, you know, this was two years ago. I was like, no, I think we're, I think I'm done, you know, just writing and seeing these words on the paper and like going through all my journals um, and just realizing the spiritual manipulation with my brother's death. So, so, you know, back to when my parents left, um, they started following George Lee and George Lee had, you know, these little, I don't know, sacrament meetings he would hold, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but he, he had started, you know, preaching that he was the Lamanite seer, um, that he was the chosen one to lead, you know, to help the Lamanites blossom as a rose. And, you know, again, as a grown woman, I'm like realizing all of these stories that Mormons love to tell themselves. Yeah. It's almost like, um, you know, I think of, I think of when I was a kid watching Willow and, you know, there were fairies and sprites and, you know, all these little magical creatures. And I wanted so badly to believe in them. Like we would Mm -hmm. go on fairy hunts, you know, and I feel like that's a lot of what Mormonism is. It's just, Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) especially with your last episode of um, murder among the Mormons of how the church was so like just desperate to find anything that validated their religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't matter that they had an actual expert to, I guess, what, what was it? They had to make sure the documents were, yeah, you know, oh. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, but I think, you know, again, with the abducted in plain sight, the lady believed that the aliens were going to, you know, this was the alien's wish for her to be abducted and groomed by a man. Yeah. It's so easy for us to believe in these stories because I don't know, that makes us special somehow or we're the piece, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what George Lee had claimed that he was a Lamanite seer. So my dad started going to his meetings and. Okay. So can I ask, so he believed in like the Lamanite, the Lamanite story. Is that right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And then you had said he would hold sacrament meetings. Would they be in his house? Yeah. I never oh, went. Wow. To Cause okay. he lived in St. George. And okay. so still lived in Windorock. Um, so my, my dad would go out to see him. Interesting. Um, but, you know, I, you know, in thinking about like why there are so many natives, um, indigenous people who are Mormons, mm-hmm. it's so interesting to me because a lot of them are very, you know, quote unquote progressive Mormons. Right. You kind of have to be. Uh, because if you're also going to care about indigenous issues, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, like you've said so many times on your on your show that uh, like there there's no such thing as progressive Mormons. Um, but you know, because of 
the genocide in the Americas dealing with indigenous people because of residential schools. Um, and then you get this, you know, you get this guy, uh, Joseph Smith, saying, you know, completely erasing our actual history. Yeah. Um, and saying, well, hey, how about we just, you know, make this Lehigh guy come from Jerusalem and have him, you know, have these two wicked sons who are cursed with dark skin so they're not enticing to anybody. Um, and then, you know, it, it follows the the manifest destiny. Yeah archetype you know of yeah putting them in their place but also you know to have control over a, a set of people um but also like just taking away whitewashing the entire narrative of native americans as a people Oh, definitely. And also yeah. by controlling those people, by telling them if they're quote unquote righteous enough that they'll become lighter. It's mm -hmm. that's horrible. terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. Can I ask you a question before you, you continue? I'm just curious, like with with the LDS doctrine and being the fact that it's blatantly racist, like it's horrible. And like you mentioned, like completely erasing the history of Native Americans, Indigenous people, like, whenever you were taught that at home, how did your parents present this information? Was it kind of just in a, I don't know, like, was it straight from the scriptures? Like, I'm just curious how it was presented. So it was straight from the scriptures. And, and again, um, I think with their background, so my dad didn't go on the Indian placement program, but my mom did. So she grew up with a white family in St. George. And my dad was in um, the residential schools um, in Arizona. But, you know, there was a constant uh, barrage of abuse. You know, mm -hmm. there was physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse. Um and and Katie, I remember you said you went to the Herd Museum. Yes. Oh yeah. my! Wow. It's yeah. So moving. Yeah. So there, there's an exhibit there, um, dedicated to the residential schools, mm -hmm. uh, the school era, and so it was actually a really moving, a really moving exhibit. When we were living in Gilbert, uh, we went there. We took our kids. And, you know, the, you go in, they show you this chair with, you know, hair cut, um, and it's all, you know, on the floor mm -hmm. and there are these people, you know, telling their stories. Um, but, you know, you go through, you go through that abuse like that, uh, and with, you know, a national, national slogan of, kill the Indian or save the man, you know, um, oh. which was basically just this call to assimilate Native Americans and kill off their culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, make them less savage. Oh. Uh, so you get this whole generation of people 
who end up self-loathing. They hate themselves. They hate their skin. They hate their culture. Uh, my Both my parents speak fluent Navajo, but they didn't teach us because they didn't want us to speak with accents. Uh, they didn't want us to look be looked down upon. Um, but also I think it was really triggering for them because when they, whenever they spoke it, they were beaten for it. Um, so it's so hard to want to teach your children something that you were taught was bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and also, um, if anybody wants to learn more about residential schools, there's a really good movie called Indian Horse. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So it follows this little kid who goes through residential schools, um, up in Canada. So anyway, you get, you get these people dealing with all this, uh, generational trauma, uh, from the residential schools and they're presented with this program. A lot of them go through, you have to be baptized to the Indian placement program. And I think my mom was like maybe eight or nine when she went to live with this other family. Uh, sorry, just for, sorry, just for like maybe people who don't know what this program is like, do you want to go into some details about the Indian placement program? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. So, um, I'm just going to read it from Wikipedia. The Indian placement program, uh, also called the Lamanite placement program was operated by the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints officially operating from 1954 and virtually closed by 1996. It had its peak during the 1960s and 1970s. Native American students who were baptized members of the LDS church were placed in foster homes of LDS members during the school year. They attended majority white public schools rather than the Indian boarding schools or local schools on the reservation. And so an estimated 50,000 Native American children went through the program and the the goal of this program was, um, and, and most people will slide over this fact, uh, but the goal was to um, I guess accelerate this blossoming that was foretold in the scriptures to make these indigenous people make their skin turn white. Oh. And so, uh, President Kimball had a quote. Um, he was he was in a, I don't know if it was a general conference. I don't have the quote up um, right here. I didn't realize, I guess I'm, I'm, I had never even heard about this placement program and I'm, I'm baffled. So it was run by, I mean, I've heard about it since meeting you and like, well, meeting you, like <laughs> we're friends on the social media, <laughs> we are. Um, but it's like my, my jaw drops to the floor that I had no idea that there was a program like this in the LDS church. Like I knew of the horrendous things that the U S government has done um, throughout history to native Americans, but I did not realize that this was a program in the LDS church, like that this is something that they, like, I guess sponsored is the right word. I don't know. Like, it's from them, right? Yeah, it was church sanctioned. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Wow. And um, President Kimball was one of the driving forces behind it uh, because he believed wholeheartedly that, you know, the 
the native people, their skin would change to white and delightsomeness. Yep. It's so fucked up. I found the quote, if you want me to share it. Yes. Um, So this is from General Conference, Spencer W. Kimball, October 1960. The day of the Lamanites is nigh. For years they have been growing delightsome, and they are now becoming white and delightsome as they were promised. In this picture of the 20 Lamanite missionaries, 15 of the 20 were as light as Anglos. Five were darker but equally delightsome. The children in the home placement program in Utah are often lighter than their brothers and sisters in the Hogan's on the reservation. At one meeting, a father and a mother and their 16-year-old daughter were present. The little member girl, 16, sitting between the dark father and mother, it was evident she was several shades lighter than her parents on the same reservation in the same Hogan, subject to the same sun and wind and weather. There was a doctor in a Utah city who for years had had an Indian boy in his home who stated that he was some shades lighter than the younger brother just coming into the program from the reservation. These young members of the church are changing to whiteness and delightsomeness. One white elder jokingly said that he and his companion were donating blood regularly to the hospital in the hope that the process might be accelerated. What? Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, so, I mean, you you know, you get that bullshit from the prophet, the actual prophet at yeah. the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I... I, I was in primary. I remember being in primary and putting my two hands, my two fingers up, you oh. know, for the Book of Mormon story song. Oh. And you don't realize all the subtle racism until you're out of it. Because it wasn't, I wasn't going to a ward with, you know, surrounded by white people I was going to a ward surrounded by other Navajos yeah other natives you know so it was this indoctrination of I guess this internalized this internalized um, teaching that we needed to be redeemed you know we were on this path of redemption so we could blossom as a rose and I think People just really wanted to believe that they Mm -hmm. wanted it was presented in this way of, you know, you're a chosen people and you're you know, you live on the promised land and you're a promised people. And the first the last shall be first and the first shall be last, you know, all of these little um, prophecies and, you know, and. And you want to believe it. You want to believe that you're special. You want to believe that you're going to help usher in the second coming, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Oh, yes. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of how I internalized it at the time of I'm, I'm chosen, Mm. you know, and that's the only way that you can really swallow something like that down the, you know, the erasure of your history and the racist doctrine of being cursed with dark skin. Yeah. You have to believe that you're going to be chosen and that your skin is going to turn white, you know? Oh, my God. There's so much wrong with so much of this. Ugh. 
it just makes me so angry and I can't even, you know, I don't have the right to even be angry about it, but I feel that feeling of just like, what the fuck? (sighs) I mean, I didn't realize how many problems it actually caused until I was out of it. You know, we talk a lot about um, the shame of being sexual or the shame of, um, you know, identifying with different genders. Um, but there's also, for a lot of members, the sh- for BIPOC members at least, there's the shame of being brown or black. Yeah. Yep. But you don't see it because you don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Because if you see it, the whole foundation crumbles because the whole foundation is built on this racist notion mm-hmm. of skin cursing. Yeah. That's, that's the whole Book of Mormon. Look, um, I just got show bumps. Sorry that I, I'm so grateful that you're on this podcast right now on this platform. Like this is something that obviously Katie and I would want to draw attention to, but this is something we've never experienced. I I've never had guilt for the color of my skin and it's, it's so incredibly harmful and destructive and horrendous that this is religion is based on that. Like it's based on having a racist doctrine, a racist, you know, foundation and then furthering it by brainwashing its members who aren't white by saying, you know what, you're only ever going to be good enough if you're white and delight them. Oh, like it's, uh, I'm just so sorry that you ever felt that. And I'm sorry that we can't relate, but it's so important that we want like to have you and, and as many people as we can on our podcast and on this platform to speak up against this. Like this is a, a religion that is really powerful and wealthy and is completely the opposite of any type of progression that we want to go towards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and it was funny. Uh, I, I remember you guys were talking about, there was a story about the uh, Utah school that didn't want to do black history. They wanted, oh, yeah. they could opt out. Um, so I had posted that on my Facebook and so one of my one of my uh, friends from Wisconsin, but she's she grew up in Utah though, um, and now lives back in Utah. <laughs> so, uh, but I had met her in Wisconsin, um, and she had said, "I don't understand why. Why would people do this?" And I was like, "Well, basically because you know the doctrine is racist and." So she wrote back and she said, I agree with your sentiment that if questionable things come up in lessons or conversations, then we need to speak up. But overall, the Church of Jesus Christ does not teach racism as some have accused. In fact, they are very much against racism. And so then she, you know, brings all the like Gordon B. Hinckley and Russell Ballard, I don't know, Oaks, all of these like <laughs> God all these quotes. <laughs> But so wait, can I, I said, just ask, is she white? Yes. Oh, <laughs> my God. Of course God. she is. I was over here is. like, I'm going to ask, but I already know the answer. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know, with all due respect, the very idea of cursed Lamanites is a racist and harmful doctrine and has been taught since the very beginning. So um, 
And I was like, with all due respect, I'm a lot older than you. And I've been in this church longer than you have living and you're in a person of doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I'm brown and don't come from, you know, pioneer heritage doesn't mean I don't know. Yeah. And, you know? Ugh. So put yourself down. Yeah. <laughs> I've been in here a lot longer than you have. So I said, basically, I said, I agree it isn't your experience that church doctrine has been racist, but, and that's because you don't experience racism. Yep. And thank God for that because it's been hell for a lot of people, but you don't want to see it. You know, I mean, my parents, my in-laws, um, there's always an excuse. Yeah. Well, you know, this and that, well, this and that, well, the church is perfect, but the members aren't. And I'm I really hate that so much. Yeah. <laughs> so like that. yeah, they'll say we get that a lot on our um, just on our posts or in our emails or reviews. People will say, you don't understand. The church is perfect. It's the people. Maybe a Mormon person said a racist thing or did a horrendous thing. That doesn't mean the church isn't perfect. And we're over here screaming have yeah. you read the Book of Mormon? Yeah, it's exactly. based on racism. That's the point. Exactly. <laughs> so it's funny though. Um, when my parents left, so many people left the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my dad was a really prominent person in the church community, in the Native, and then especially in the Navajo church community. Um, so when he left. So many people left along with Wow. Even like my in-laws. So the Native community, the Native LDS community is really small. So uh, like apparently my in-laws went to school to BYU at the same time my parents did. And so they heard that my parents had left the church. And my my mother-in-law was like, yeah, when I heard that your mom and dad left the church, we seriously contemplated leaving. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so they they left with knowing that there were racist undertones, but they still wanted to believe the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they still wanted to think this is our book. This book is for us. And I think that was a really clever tactic. I'm, you know, I hate to say this, but it was a really clever tactic. Um by Joseph Smith saying, Oh, Hey, look, you guys are a promised people. And this book is your history. And this book is for you is written specifically for you. It was almost like the, uh, the donkey with the carrot, you know, uh-huh. He's riding on the donkey. All right, keep going, keep going. Yeah. You're there. Come get it. You know, uh-huh. Don't blossom does a rose. Not quite. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, but then we came back. So I, I, we left, my parents left when I was 12 and when I turned 15, um, my brother died and then we left the, then we came back to church Mm -hmm. and the whole thing, I remember a lot of comments, um, you know, that scripture of being compelled to be humbled. Yeah. So that was used a lot of, well, you know. God took your son so you could come back to church. 
you know, oh. yeah, Aaron's purpose was to sacrifice himself so the family could live together forever in heaven. So, oh, my. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm writing this. And I'm like, this is spiritual manipulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, you're basically God. holding my brother hostage for my to my parents. And I can't even imagine the amount of grief that they went through. I, I can't even imagine, like, Losing my brother would be completely different than losing one of my children. Yeah. I just would be dead. Part of me would be, would have died mm-hmm. right along with my child, you know? So for people, for religious people to come after uh, grieving parents is just absolutely horrendous, you know? Come back to church, pay your tithing, and you'll get to see your, your son again. Ugh, it's such spiritual manipulation and it's so slimy and unethical and everything that's wrong because that's like the most vulnerable state anyone could ever be in ever. And then you're dangling this hope mm-hmm. and telling them if you come back to us, we'll give you this reunion or yeah. whatever they preach, you know. So it's it's absolutely skeevy and disgusting. Yeah, well, and exactly. It's, it's the basis of the Mormon church is that they always prey on the vulnerable, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, you think about missionaries doing missionary work, like the the investigators who come to church. I mean, I, I know for me personally, everyone I've ever met was in a very vulnerable state. Um, it was something that they they needed help with or they were just vulnerable. And that's what the church like I they they target the vulnerable. Right. And then they guilt them into the religion by saying like, oh, you, you're promised to have this, but only if you're worthy. And then, you know, if you mess up, well, that's because you're cursed. You know, <sighs> you fucked up. Yeah. So God's cursing you. Which, you know, is something that, Monica, I know you, you mentioned and have talked about. And it's, it's, it's really harmful. Like, there, that's still a, a mentality that I fall into sometimes where if something goes really bad in my life, I instantly think God's cursing me because I yeah. left the church, you know. Instead of it just being it's life, it's I'm cursed. And it's just horrible that, especially in your family situation, that the church would would you just like use that to their advantage to get you guys to come back to church? It's, it's horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so, you know, the, the book starts off me going back to school, you know, Mm -hmm. right after my brother dies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my parents have these meetings with missionaries now so they can get rebaptized. Like they're just like, all in, all in again. Wow. Um, despite, you know, knowing about the stocks, despite, you know, the racism, you know, you just kind of sweep all that aside. The only thing that matters is, you know, their son, seeing their son again. And, um, and it's been really interesting watching that. I, I have, you know, I, I see things differently now as an adult watching my parents um, and I understand why they're doing things the way they're doing it. Um, you know, my dad would 
just throw himself in his calling. And he would hardly be there. He was a state president for the last 10 years. Um, so he would hardly be there. He would have to miss family functions or, you know, my kids' birthday parties. Cause we lived near, we lived close to him for the last five years. Um, but he'd say, Oh, I can't, you know, temple excursion. Oh, I can't, you know, this or that got, got church meetings, got church meetings. Um, and I just thought how sad it was that, you know, the church makes you believe you have to give up your entire self for this institution all the while they're preaching how family is the most important and yet these callings take them away from their families that's but yeah that made me think of that like the irony of they are supposedly so family oriented it's like supposedly their main focus but that's what they sell because that looks nice yet the reality of it is they take people away from their families so much or the family is obligated to spend so much time at church activities or family home evening or like you said, temple work, blah, 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 that even maybe if they are doing something together as quote unquote a family like a church activity, it's still it's still just laced with the idea that like the church comes first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think he felt so guilty also realizing that so many people left because he left mm-hmm. that he's been on this, like, I need to make it right. Wow. But also he knows that we, we've stopped going. Yeah. Um, and he, and I and I was kind of bracing myself for, you know, he's he's the patriarch of our home. And so and he he's not shy about lecturing us. Um, so I was <laughs> I was bracing myself for a lecture. Uh, but he talked with Sam and Sam. Sam knows his scriptures in and out. It just baffles me like you cannot come to him you know, trying to debate why you should stay in church because he's going to give you all these like contradicting, you know, hypocritical things from the church. And he knows all this history and Mm -hmm. everybody's like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's amazing. I wish I could have that storage of automatic memory that tells me the scripture and the quote and stuff because I'll get in these conversations with people and I'm like oh I know it was said and I know it's somewhere but you're not giving me time to look it up (laughs) exactly exactly and I I, because I'm not that way I will totally stutter through a debate like that you know yeah Um, so it was actually Sam who talked to my dad and said you know what we're gonna just step away for a while um but I think you know, because he left himself, I think he kind of granted us that grace of like, all right, I understand, but well, yeah. But because I have my dead son, I still need to be in it. You know, in it. So, yeah. so I how? Mean, sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just gonna say, how is it since then? Like, does he know about your book and like every like the fact that you're not 
shy, like you're very outspoken um, about your beliefs and obviously like calling out the, the racism in the Mormon church and just the absolute ridiculousness of it all. Um, is that something that they're, they're okay with or is it uh, difficult, I guess? I don't think he knows. He's not on social media at all. <laughs> right. So Isn't that so great? Helps. <laughs> that helps. But I know he does. I know, um, and I blocked some of my aunties, his sisters, because they're really meddling. I blocked them off my social media because every once in a while, they'd I'd get a call from my dad and my dad would be like, you know, my sister said you posted this or whatever. And he would kind yeah. of rough about it. And I'm like, dad, I can post whatever I want. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. He, we, we are trying to be very uh, respectful of each other's uh, free will, I think. So, because, it, you know, it's, it's been pretty rocky, just lots of ups and downs. Um, because I'm, because I'm a girl, you know, and because um, Mormonism breeds patriarchy. And I'm supposed to act a certain way and I'm supposed to be proper and not cause waves. And so, um, but I think after all these years, we've kind of come to this, to this spot of giving each other grace. And so I hope that continues. (laughs) No, I think it will. And it sounds like it's, Obviously, it's not the ideal situation because you would want him to leave the church as well. But at least it's to a point where you can still have a relationship with your family and it hasn't caused an issue in that front, you know. And I think that's that's something to be said. Um, and at least like you, you know, I, I do the same where I block some of my yeah. <laughs> family from social media just because it, it, it causes, I feel like, more stress than it's worth it, you know, like. If, if the rules were the same, you know, that we could post things and someone who didn't agree wouldn't get upset. But it's like if I post anything that's calling out the Mormon church, it's like Mormons are the first to be like, uh, no, that's incorrect. Um, whereas, like, obviously, if they post anything about Mormonism, I never say anything because I'm like, <laughs> you do you. Um, you know, but it's like if I ever do it, it's the end of the world and it can't be done. And I, yeah. you know am a heathen to to family members who are still practicing but yeah I, I'm with you on that and that it's just easier sometimes to yeah just unfollow them or you know that amazing uh setting on stories now that you can hide from people yes. <laughs> I'm like I miss one <laughs> well and like you said Monica there's that there's that kind of culture of gossip even like an aunt or a cousin or a friend or an old ward member will see something that you post on Facebook and it could be something even somewhat innocuous, but they think you're attacking the church and then they go and tattle. It's like we're little kids, but it's, I have that in the back of my in the back of my mind, almost every time I post something, because I know someone that knows my parents is going to see it, and are they going to tattle on me? What what a weird thing we have to think about. I I, that's just the Mormon culture of it. It's keeping yep. tabs on everybody. Yep. Um, and I really, so he, I tell them I'm writing a book, and they know it's about my life on the reservation. Um. But as every parent knows, like, they don't know everything, you know. (laughs) 
that goes on in their child's life. <laughs> yeah. So the book chronicles a lot of the trouble I get into with the missionaries. Mm. You know, um, so the weird thing that goes on on the reservation back in the day, I don't know how it is now, but back in the day, missionaries would be sent to the res and it would almost be this challenge to find their wife. And it was looked at like this exotic land. And because of so much sexualization from movies like Peter Pan, um, Ridiculous Six, Pocahontas, you know, they have this colonizer mindset of, oh, I'm just going to go get me a native woman and bring her back as my souvenir. Oh, Yeah. So, um, and at this time back in the nineties, um, parents are inviting the missionaries over for dinner all the time to try to set up their daughters. Because if one of these tall white missionaries married your daughter, you hit the jackpot, you know, and it fed this white savior complex. Yeah. Uh, So did I get involved with the missionaries? Absolutely. I did. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I was 16 years old. Like what? I I didn't realize how inappropriate this whole thing was. Um, But yeah, it, it, you know, breaking lots of missionary rules. Um, But I know a lot of a lot of women who, you know, when they were going to high school, they, fell in love with the missionary serving in their, their area and they got married shortly after. And unfortunately, some of these women are single moms now. And they never hear from their ex-husband, you know, who just wanted a native souvenir. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I mean you get you get this influence of of missionaries from Utah and Idaho coming in and you just want to be so much you you just want to fit in. Yeah. You know, so it is easy to self-loathe. It is easy to try to separate yourself and think you're better than the rest of the Navajos or the rest of, you know, the reservation because you don't know your culture because you don't speak with an accent. It almost becomes this sense of pride that you're more white um, and that you get the attention of white people, you know, because you're, you're taught to. Yeah. You're taught that that's, yeah that's better. It's, it's so mind boggling to really think about that, but that's true and still happens, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, it was, it reminded me of a, one of the previous episodes, um, one of your listeners wrote in that she had to almost prove to others how devout of a member she was. And Brown and black people have to constantly do this where they list off their resume. Well, I was in the primary president. I was, I was in the primary presidency. I was in the relief society presidency. I was born under the covenant, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. And I, I would keep a tab of all of those things because, you know, as a BIPOC person, you, you have to code switch and, and we've, 
we've uh, lived all over the place. We lived in Utah, where I went to BYU. Um, we lived there for about nine years and then moved to Wisconsin uh, for Sam's Law School. And then we moved to Hopi um, in Arizona, the Hopi Reservation, and then to Gilbert and then to Gallup, New Mexico, which borders right on the Navajo Reservation there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all through the moves, you code switch. You, you're like this chameleon who has to fit into this new environment. Um, you know, you're in Utah. You have to be pleasant and pleasing to the Utah Mormons. <laughs> Uh, you move to Wisconsin, be, it's a little bit, it's a lot more liberal there. So it wasn't as hard, but still you, there's still this, uh, element of code switching. So you fit in, you know, Gallup, when we moved to Gallup, um, we may, we had these acquaintances, uh, he used to be one of the missionaries on, uh, on the res, you know, back when I was in high school and he apparently lived in, in Gallup, uh, moved there with his family. And so we got together with them for dinner a couple times. And, uh, when, so when we first moved to Gallup, he's like, Oh, Hey, come, you know, meet this other couple that's in our ward. So we meet them. The first thing out of his mouth, the partner, the, business partner guy. He's like, Oh, it's so nice to actually see successful native Americans. Oh my God. And Sam and I are like, okay, we know where this is going, you know, because we've been in this situation so many times. It's always this, like this thing with people, um, of like figuring out how to treat you how like if you fit in enough oh well they don't speak with an accent oh well they're educated people oh they seem you know very normal the way they dress you know like you know code switching is this whole chameleon act with everything your speech your dress your your personality you know all of it your humor all of it um, to fit in essentially every, you know, anywhere you go to fit in on the reservation, but also off the reservation. And so we knew where this was heading and the wife of the business partner, she was like, Oh, so why is alcoholism and poverty such a problem on the reservation? (laughs) And so Sam was like, She's like, are they just lazy or I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. And, you know, I'm sorry. Keep going. (laughs) Well, and and the thing with Sam is, you know, he's he just came out of law school and like his specialty is native law. So he's, you know, he's well versed in all of these government atrocities dealing with native tribes, you know, Mm so. He's like, well, I guess it's a history lesson. And and the whole night turned into a history lesson, um, telling them about, you know, 
the genocide with indigenous people and reservations and residential schools. And the whole time they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> like This missionary friend, I'm looking at this missionary friend. I'm like, your wife is so ignorant. You, why have you not been teaching your wife? Like you lived here on the reservation for like two years, like almost two years of your life was spent on the reservation teaching, you know, the Navajo people. So I don't understand, but, um, yeah. So going back to the book, I, it, I'm not leaving, you know, this isn't a story about leaving the church, but it's about how it affected me as a teenager, mm-hmm. a teenager who's just being fed information, how it affected my self-esteem, how it affected my life choices, you know, later on. Um, but we, we didn't leave until just two years ago. And my husband grew up very similarly. Uh, he grew up in Canada. Um, he's Blackfoot and Oneida. And, you know, our, it was, so it was very similar upbringing. His parents were, you know, got married in the Salt Lake Temple, went to BYU. Um, he served a two-year mission to Las Vegas. And we met at BYU. Um, but I think he started having questions before I did. Mm. I would, I remember because he would bring up his question and I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Remember in fourth Nephi, when, <laughs> you know, people are, everybody's so wicked and that's what's happening now. And we have to remain <laughs> strong, you know, all this stupid, all this stupid <laughs> bullshit. So... <laughs> That's so common, though. That's what they say. Like, you know, we just have to be strong, like we're told. We're the latter day saints, and the world's wicked, and we need to show them the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, ugh, ugh. I was, I was that person, you know, not really listening to his concerns. Um, but he came, and finally two years ago, everything kind of blew up. Uh, it was one huge drama. Um, well, my, my daughter had just gotten baptized. I was in the primary, or I was in the Relief Society presidency at the time. Sam was in Sunday school teaching the kids. And they would send members of the bishopric in there to monitor him, to make oh. sure he wasn't, like, teaching anything you know, and they, say it's not a, and they say it's not a cult, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like we need to monitor what you're teaching. You're, you're volunteering your time to teach for us, but we have to like sit there and watch what you say. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And our ward was so segregated. Um, you know, it was a place where the white members were up at the pulpit praying for President Trump. And <gasps> No. Yeah. <laughs> and Gallup is a, a border town. Mm. So 
it borders right off the Navajo reservation. So you get everybody from the Navajo reservation coming to Gallup to shop, you know, to do their shopping or to mm-hmm. for their jobs. So there's a lot of very conservative thinking there and which results in a lot of racism towards oh, yeah. the Navajo tribe and Zuni tribe um because they border the Zuni tribe as well but um yeah you get this this hot pocket of racial tension there sure yeah and so our ward was very um I don't know I think you know they saw me and Sam Sam was a lawyer and you know we didn't speak with accents and whatever uh whatever else dispelled any of their stereotypes but they it was this feeling of like oh you're one of us we'll hang out with you whereas everybody else it was very segregated you know mm-hmm. and and I even gave a relief society lesson on desegregating our ward because oh, I yeah. I had mentioned and I had called it out and I was like, hey, like this is really segregated. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a real problem in that ward. Um, and everybody else will deny it. But people who have gone to that ward, natives who have gone to that ward will tell you they didn't feel like they fit in. Yeah. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter if the white people of that ward were like, no, it wasn't segregated. It's like, yeah. y- you wouldn't know. You, you don't understand. Exactly. And it was funny because Sam was walking the halls one day and he took videos um, and pictures because of, there's these walls in there. There's two wards, the first and second ward. On one wall, there was a first ward um, leadership so pictures of all the leadership throughout the years all white guys Mm -hmm. uh for the second ward also the same you know on their wall leadership photos all white people and sam was like you know for for a church that has at least 50 percent indigenous people coming to their wards there is absolutely no representation for that. Yeah. Yeah. In the leadership, you know? So, I mean, it's, it was just very telling. And I had been going through, I don't know, this nasty battle with this estranged person in the second ward. And, and so they were actually having these game nights, these, you know, church lady game nights, and apparently um, I wasn't invited because they were talking about me and there's this rumor going around that I was having an affair with, you know, our healthcare provider friend. Um, what? And that, <laughs> yeah. And the Relief Society president that I worked with in my ward, she was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't tell you. I, the rumors, they're just so bad. I can't tell you. I can't tell you what it is. And I'm like, I never asked, first of all. (laughs) Oh, they love their gossip, don't they? (laughs) And I think just because they're all sexually oppressed, you know, or repressed, (laughs) repressed, 
Yeah. That's all they have to fall back on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, because Sam and I were like, nobody really talks to us at church, you know? And so we had kind of stopped going, um, a year before that. I was like, okay, well we don't have to go. Cause I knew Sam didn't want to go. So I was like, well, we don't have to go all that often. I'll just go. And you know, if I'm teaching, then I'll just teach and then we can leave. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of just gradually stopped. Uh, but um, this all happened like right around, it kind of all blew up um, right around the same time after my daughter got baptized. And then my son came and said that his uh, boy from the young men in his class had told him that my son's faith was failing because he was a cursed Lamanite. And that's why he questioned. Oh, oh my God. Oh my. So he was telling me, you know, after researching these things, this religion isn't for me. It's very racist and misogynistic. And, you know, he's the one researching. He's the one thing. Yeah, he's the one researching things. He's the one like, this isn't okay for women to be in. Like, I don't know. I don't, mom, I don't understand. Mom, what are you doing? (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I, all of your concerns are completely valid. And he was like, you know, mom, I have gay friends. Like, this is just so hateful. This religion is so hateful. I can't be a part of it. And I'm like, why couldn't I be like that? You know, like, (laughs) here's my son being the example saying, I can't be part of this hateful religion. And I think it finally clicked for me. And I finally started seeing everything, you know, the racism, the misogyny, the, the hate towards LGBTQ, um, you know, all of that I started realizing at that time. Um, so I cussed out my Relief Society president, cussed out my minister. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, you know, basically like trying to guilt guilt trip me. And um, she's like, well who's going to take your calling? I was like, I don't know. That's your problem. Yeah. Not my problem lady. Really? That's her way of trying to guilt trip you. It's like, okay, you can just find another teacher. It's not like God actually calls them anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Plus you're, you're all wrapped up in this, all these drama rumors, you know, like about me, I'm not going to trust. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't help but imagine all these Karens with the Karen haircut being like, oh, did yeah. you hear about Monica? Oh, got to talk and about you're it. just like minding your own business, just <laughs> doing your damn thing. And they're like, did you hear? <laughs> Sexually frustrated white Karens who are like, oh, we got to we gotta get someone. Let's get some story. gossip. It's got to be Monica. <laughs> Okay, so I, I actually, I took my kids to one of their appointments, and the the business partner guy, he was like, oh, well, you're really dressed up. Why are you so dressed up today? And I seriously had on a pair of skinny jeans and this Target shirt. It wasn't even form-fitting. 
and the sleeves went down to my forearms. It wasn't a big scoop neck or anything. So my cleavage wasn't showing, but he was like totally making the assumption that I was there to be a home wrecker. Oh my Because of these rumors, I went to go see the healthcare provider friend, you know, because my kids had an appointment and he's like, oh, well, why are you so dressed up? What is wrong with people? (laughs) And honestly, his pants were tighter than my pants. (laughs) He had no business saying anything. Uh, That culture, though, of like women are they're there to be looked at in either a bad way or a good way right like for the male gaze and then we're in we're in control of what they think about us somehow yeah. it's, it's just never the man's fault no never. Uh, nope. <sighs> yeah so um then so then I it wasn't until a year after we left I finally got up the courage to write the letter that I sent you guys um, that you guys read on your podcast. So good. Uh, And, you know, I thought for all of these years, they, the LDS church has been trying to get me away from my actual tribe, Mm -hmm. my actual Navajo culture, heritage, you know, traditions, all of it. Um, And it's so funny because, I, I hear so many people, you know, saying, oh, I need I need a new tribe now that the LDS church isn't, you know, now that I've left the church. And I'm like, I'm actually, I like literally have to go back to my tribe and like relearn everything. Yeah. Because uh-huh. I thought Nephi, Lehi, Lamanite, all of those people, or Laman, all of those people were like, Moroni, you know, Alma, they were all my actual ancestors. Oh my God. Bullshit is just a bunch of fairy tales. You know, I didn't even like put any value on my own cultural teachings and I put this nonsense above it. So, so that like gave me like goosebumps to think about that. It didn't, it didn't just take away all the other things that the church has taken from all of us it actually took your actual historical identity and your tribe away from you and replaced it with like you said a literal fairy tale a fairy bullshit yeah that's like madness and um it there's this there's this experience that like just pops into my head all the time um so when we were living in Hopi, and now Hopi is a Pueblo tribe, and they have the most gorgeous Pueblos on top of this mesa. Um, you'll have to uh, look it up. But uh, they are very much attached to their culture. They're very, like, they will make fun of Navajos because they will say Navajos are not connected to their cultural culture at all because you know we've become too colonized which is you know is not an unfair statement it's it's pretty true um because they are still very much into um 
their cultural knowledge, their ceremonies, they hold it very sacred. Uh, so when we lived there, um, two missionaries came over for dinner because we we're still, you know, members at that point. And one of the one of the missionaries said, our job is to get the people off the Pueblo and into church. Their culture is going to die out anyway. And That's Sam cool. was like preparing dinner and he stopped and he froze and he's like, what did you say? And so the guy repeated himself. He's like, no, you boys need to sit down and listen. The Hopi people were here when the Spanish conquistadors came. You know what happened to them? They killed the priests and threw them over the cliff. The Hopi people have survived colonizing religions over thousands of years. You think two scrawny teenage boys are going to change that? <laughs> He's a better question. Do you think they should? Absolutely not. Your job isn't to change them or kill off their culture. Your job is to learn to love other people. Yes. Damn. What a badass. I love it. No. But, and, you know, I, I had made so many excuses over the years. And it was just, it's little things like this that happened. You know, like a little, like we when we were in Wisconsin, not Madison. Madison's a literal bubble, a uh, liberal bubble. Um, but when we went off, we moved to rural Wisconsin up north. And so it gets more conservative, you know. Um, but we stopped going to that ward because the uh, bishopric would make drunk Indian jokes over the pulpit. Oh, oh my God. And sounds like, no, we're, you know, our children are here. We're not, we're not going to do this. Yeah. We stopped going. Um, but it's, you know, all of these, a, a culmination of experiences like this that happens. And I'm like, you know, this isn't the best place for my children. This isn't the, this isn't even a good place for me. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but yeah, you, you're in denial for so long because you've been taught to fear the last days. You've been taught that even the elect will fall and you don't want to be one of those people who is seen as having less faith. Yeah. You know, yeah. but once you leave, you realize that religion doesn't have a monopoly on spirituality. You realize that you can still be a good person without religion. You realize you can have happiness without religion. Um, you leave that bubble and you, have all this, you know, this actual freedom. But while you're in the bubble, you're just so afraid. At every turn, you're taught to be afraid mm -hmm. of leaving. Definitely. Oh, well said. And do you feel like you're at that point now, after leaving the church, that you you have all these things without a religion that you're in a place where you can say you're happy. You don't have this fear and this looming dark cloud above you. That's constant guilt and shame, but like you're free to be you and to embrace your identity, your culture, 
you know, spend more time with their family, like have all of these things that ironically the church says that you get with them, but in reality they strip all of that away from you. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. Um, last year, you know, right when you leave the church, it's your whole foundation crumbles. Cause you, you feel so betrayed. You feel so angry because something you gave your whole life to turns out to be a fraud. Mm-hmm. And so I was depressed and angry for a good, you know, three months. And then I found your podcast and it like just brought such humor to it. Um, that it like your podcast just saved my life. You know, it was so nice to to hear that other people felt the same way I did. It was so nice to hear all the crass jokes and (laughs) I just like all the irreverency, you know, because I'm like, yeah, fuck that church. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's therapeutic. People think we're just being bitchy, but it's like it helps. So therapeutic. <laughs> so um, I think it's, it's taken a while for a, a little bit longer for Sam. I And I think because he's also dealing with his two-year mission. Mm-hmm. Of just being so angry that, like, that they took that two years, but also trying to reconcile, like, well, what was the, like, the good that maybe had come out of it, too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, he's, he's more on the atheist spectrum, and I'm more just on the agnostic spectrum, and... Our kids are just kind of, uh, I guess, in between, but um, I guess agnostic too. But we're trying to be like, take greater efforts in learning about the Blackfoot culture, learning about the Navajo culture, uh, being part of ceremonies. Um, They just, they had their naming ceremony not too while ago. And it's nice to, it's nice to be part of that now. Like I feel sometimes like an imposter. And I, I actually just had a conversation with my daughter last night. Cause she was like, well, I'm not 100% Navajo. I'm not 100% Blackfoot or Oneida. And she said, I don't know where I fit in. And I feel like I don't know anything about my cultures anyway. And so she was really sad about it. And I said, this is the thing. Like, you're not, you can't, you know, you're not like a dollar bill. You can't be separated into quarters and halves. Mm -hmm. You're like completely Navajo and you're completely Blackfoot. Nobody is saying that, you know, you have to separate yourself just because you have this amount of blood quantum. Yeah. yeah, You know, and I was like, I grew up Mormon on the reservation. I didn't know any of my cultural teachings. I went to school 
with kids who spoke Navajo and I felt so out of place sometimes and I felt so ignorant and left out when the grandmas and the aunties were telling jokes in Navajo, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking back and I was like, you know, that doesn't make it any less Navajo. No. I mean, that's just the blood that runs through me and, you know, all of these various experiences um, make up who I am. You know, it's not the lack of traditional knowledge or, or, you know, knowing traditional knowledge because a lot of that was taken away from us at no fault of our own. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Wow. What an honor it has been to have you on the podcast, Monica. I'm like, I can't stop smiling right now, and I'm also blown away. And just, I, I don't, I don't even have words. I don't have words. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I was super excited about like wow. finally being able to talk with you guys. Oh, I yeah. want to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Will you please be on another episode once your book is officially live and published and then we can talk about it in all the details because I know I'm dying. I'm sure as soon as it's published that people who read it are also going to want to just chat with the amazing author and I want to know more. Like I feel like this hour and however long has gone by so fast and we've barely touched the surface and I'm like, I need another episode. I need another one. (laughs) Absolutely. I would, I would love to. Yay. (laughs) All right. Well, sadly, I guess we'll wrap up, but thanks again so much, Monica. Thank you all for listening and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We will. And hopefully soon with another episode with the lovely Monica. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.